Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Listen up, we've got some tea and you all are going to be obsessed. We spoke with the Abercrombie team and they told us that they were gonna launch a wedding shop. Well, we lost it because as you know, we are both getting ready to get Abercrombie and hitched. The whole vibe of Abercrombie these days is clothes you'd wear for a perfect long weekend and all their customers were like, hey, we spend long weekends traveling for weddings these days and then Abercrombie was like, we love that. Let us just give you everything you could ever possibly want and love to wear for all things wedding. So they did. It has everything. Tons of dresses, jumpsuits, pants, swimsuits, pajamas, pantsuits, and all perfectly curated for different events, bachelorettes, brunches, showers, ceremonies as a guest and ceremonies as a bride, reception, and even honeymoon. It is incredible. Check out the Abercrombie Wedding Shop on Abercrombie.com. Go shop it now. Revely, revely, revely. to another edition of zero block 30 this is an episode that none of us wanted to record we didn't want to talk about the fall of afghanistan we didn't want to talk about how the taliban was back in charge we did definitely didn't want to talk about how there was graven in images that were coming out this morning of people trying to flee afghanistan on the backs of planes not even being inside and dropping and it was just a as horrific as an experience as you can possibly imagine for people who are trying to escape the Taliban's grips once again after they had to leave the country 20 years ago. Now, September 11th, 2001, obviously kicked off a whole new chapter of America because of the things that we went through. And now it seems like it's in vogue, really, to go back in hindsight bias everything and say, say that we weren't in Afghanistan for just purposes. I'm not a believer in that at all. I look back at what, what happened on September 11th, knowing full well that Al-Qaeda was responsible, the Taliban was in charge of Afghanistan, and the Taliban let Al-Qaeda basically run around Afghanistan with impunity. They had all different types of camps. They set up communication. They did all types of things from Afghanistan and really the Pakistan border as well. So Afghanistan, we had to go there. We had to disrupt that terror network, and that's what we did. We went in there in September or in October of 2011, or 2001. God damn, seems like like that's crazy. 2001, 20 years ago, and we disrupted it and we ended them fast and in a hurry. Like they were they were scattering whenever we came in at the beginning. And then things changed, right, Kate? Yeah, so by December, we went in there in October. Basically, it was all those images you saw, a bomb in the caves, the special forces on horseback going up into the mountains, just weeding them the fuck out of there. And by December, U.S. and allied forces drove the Taliban from power and Al-Qaeda had dispersed. So it was pretty quick, swift and fast. And that's when people were saying, all right, you know, is our work done here? What's the next step? And that is where George W. Bush, he was giving a speech and he started bringing up this idea of the Marshall Plan for Afghanistan in April of 2002. And cons, uh, for those of us that didn't go to West Point, what is the Marshall Plan? The, Marshall the simplest Plan, way you can explain it. Yeah, the Marshall Plan was uh, Secretary of State George C. Marshall's plan to rebuild Europe post-World War II and help them get back on their feet after World War II because in the absence of infrastructure and order, 
chaos ensues and it becomes a breeding ground for organizations to take over and do as they please. Right. Basically, we weeded the Taliban and Al Qaeda out. Now they're going to come back unless we build up the infrastructure of Afghanistan. We build up the government. We make it so that the people don't need them anymore, don't need to rely on them because they were the way I describe them to people. It's like a mafia through intimidation and force in these areas with with poverty, with chaos, as as scary and awful as they were. They also provided a sense of security for the people and mm-hmm. and gave them a way to get the things they needed. They controlled everything. Um, so the idea was, you know, rebuild Afghanistan and that will keep them at bay. Yeah. And it was, I want to say how much the Marshall Plan was in 1947, because I think it's an important point, because there were so mm-hmm. many analysts at the time that thought when George Bush switched the operation from a counterterrorism to a coin operation or to a nation building plan, that the amount of money that America was willing to put in just wasn't ever going to get it done. We weren't mm-hmm. ever going to see that actually take place. And I want to give an example of what happened here, because in when you're talking about 1947 and you have $13 billion, the equivalent to that now, if we were going to give that now, is 15, or it's $150 billion would be mm-hmm. what it would cost today if we were going to do that. When we went into Afghanistan, we promised that we would send $300 million. So right. we were going to spend significantly less trying to build Afghanistan than we were Europe, but you're, you're not building the entirety of Europe. You're building Afghanistan and you can have that. But the analyst said that you're going to need a billion dollars a month. Imagine being the president of the United States going in front of the, uh, going in front of the <laughs> American people when you have one, the stock market's not doing great. You like analysts are already saying that there might be a depression on the rise and you could have a huge recession that's coming. And then you're saying, look, we're going to give a billion dollars a month to this country that you don't give a fuck about. Because and not only do you not care about, but this country that harbored the terrorists that only, you know, less than a year ago came in and did a horrific act against our country. So it'd be a very, very difficult sell. Mm-hmm. So that was when really things started to change. And I honestly believe if President Bush looked at it, but they didn't get bin Laden at that point either. Bin Laden was still on the run. We didn't have him. And that's the reason why, because it would have been impossible to, for President Bush to stare down Osama bin Laden essentially through the cameras and say, we're coming to get you and you're going to fucking die. And then being like, well, we disrupted the terror network, so now we can we can leave. You don't leave Afghanistan without Osama bin Laden. So I understand that that's a difficult, it's difficult as well. But if we would have gotten Osama bin Laden, which is a, a big if, if we would have gotten then and you leave in December of 2002, everything is completely different. Like, I, I think the world is a different place if that mm-hmm. ha- is that's what happened. But we didn't find him. We didn't know where he was until damn near 10 years later. But we'll continue going through our little timeline. That was December of 2002. We had all that stuff going on with the new Marshall Plan. And then we really have to go next to March 20th of 2003. And that's when we invaded Iraq. And we also diverted all types of resources that were going to Afghanistan. Now we essentially split the Marine Corps in two of where you were going to go. The army was split as well. You had different folks. And I, I'll never understand why they didn't give Afghanistan to the army or Afghanistan mm. to the Marine Corps. And then you have Iraq as the army or the Iraq as the Marine Corps. Why the fuck we didn't do that is beyond me. I'll never understand that. Yeah, I'm sure there was some reason for it, but it, it stands the reason that each force by itself could have handled each respective country if you just kept them together. I actually never really gave thought to that, chaps. That's an interesting point. 
I don't know why we didn't do that. Because like the turnips are talking to each other all gets convoluted and messed up because the doctrine is different and all that shit. Mm. That's neither here nor there. And then in 2003, the military's perspective for those that were fighting in the military changed. I remember talking to folks in Okinawa, talking to some of my leaders where they were like, oh, Afghanistan, that's a bullshit deployment. You don't want to go on that. You want to go to Iraq. That's where everything's hot because Ramadi and Fallujah and all that stuff. And people wanted to get in the action. Those folks, they wanted their combat action ribbon. You joined during post 9-11 because you wanted to fight it wasn't because you wanted to go chill in a barracks if mm. you joined post 9-11 especially in those first four years four or five years you wanted to fight it was something that you and everybody's mom was like are you fucking insane there's not a draft and you're going into the army the air force the navy the marine corps you're doing all these things and really iraq was the focus for a long time until president obama took over for president bush and then it's february 17th of 2009 President Obama refocused our attacks or refocused our efforts on Afghanistan, right, Catherine? It was kind of like uh, Afghanistan was the souffle in the oven, but uh, the, but the leadership was getting the living room ready, and then they well, turned Iraq around. had more of a Babadook kind of. Vibe. It had more of a Bob, but then they turned around and the souffle was on fire, and they're like, "Oh shit, that was 2009. Oh shit, the, the souffle is on fire. We better get back over there and put that out." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so Obama recommitted U.S. forces to Afghanistan to combat a resurgent Taliban. And resurgent, too, is an interesting term. I don't think they ever really went away. I keep comparing them to cockroaches. They they were there the whole time. Sure, some fled the border, whatever. And I want to draw some, uh, attention to something. If Kate is saying you're a cockroach, if Kate is going after you, because she is very notorious, like where she'll try to find the bright spot in anybody, like where she doesn't really believe too much in the evil of humanity. If she's calling you a cockroach, you're bad news. Yeah, um, I mean, just... When I was there, uh, they they killed kids. Um, mm-hmm. Like I firsthand, they they killed children, and I mean that was I, yes, they're horrible, evil people with no whatever. But yeah, so th- they were there the whole time, kind of lurking and biding their time. Um, and they started to around two thousand nine. They call it like um, the summertime, the winter. They kind of go away, and then each summer it was getting worse and worse and worse. The the firefights as soon as the spring thaw came, the Marines knew to brace themselves because there was going to be big battles coming. It was pretty quiet during the winter. President Biden alluded to it today that he wasn't Mm -hmm. going to take office and have have this go down. And it was in the middle of the fighting season. It wasn't something that he was willing to do because he saw that for eight years as vice president. Yeah. Fighting season getting pretty bad by 2009. um, And Obama announced a new strategy for Afghanistan, connecting the return of the group in parts of the country to the Pakistani Taliban. And he called for greater cooperation from Pakistan. Um, Then December of 2009, 30,000 additional troops to be sent to Afghanistan on top of the already 68,000 already in a country. Um, and that was known as the surge. You know, it's bad. 30,000 additional troops almost 10 years into it. That's a sign that not great. By May of 2011, Obama announced that the U.S. military and CIA agents successfully killed Osama bin Laden. And really, even if we're looking at it now, I think we had those moments in Iraq where it was like, we're going to send enough troops to absolutely win this thing or we're going to mm-hmm. get the fuck out of it. Mm-hmm. Even though ultimately we didn't and Iraq fell back and Fallujah fell and Ramadi fell and Baghdad fell again. Like we have all those different things. You really never had that. And you had certain analysts that said in order to really win Afghanistan, we're going to need 250,000 troops. I, yeah. I think it was General Krulak and that was his estimation whenever he came out and said, if we are going to win this thing, 
America's not ready to give what we need to, what we're going to need to have in country in order to actually win and root everything out. And mm-hmm. not to like, not trying to make it about me or anything like that, but just sticking with that time. No, I think your personal stories are very important. 2010 is when I was sent to Marja, Afghanistan, which at the time it's, it's in Helmand province. And it was the hub of the poppies, the heroin, the huge, huge source of income for the Taliban. So it was one of the biggest Taliban strongholds in all of Afghanistan. And the year that I went was that fighting season was one of the worst. It's a famous Marine Corps battle, the battle of Marja and um, just an incredibly violent time. And so here we are morning, the infantry goes outside the wire, huge firefights taking place, Marines dying, um, lots of horrible things happening in the afternoon, then civil affairs coming in going, all right, try and get some sewing machines out there and uh, let's get some seed to, so they stop growing poppy and we're going to have, give them seeds so they can grow just corn and stuff instead. Yeah, which so it they was don't... just brain dead because and... the, the Taliban made 200 billion or $200 million a year on the opium trade. Yeah, and we're working on a system for a, a garbage, a garbage system for the town, and we're doing all this stuff. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like infrastructure type stuff. What the fuck are you talking about? There's guys getting killed in the morning. Like what? What? Mm-hmm. We're not going to get a mail carrier here. Like I don't know. It's just I'm making that and there's, part, but like there's aspects of that in Afghanistan and in Iraq as well. Yeah. Where- where you just like, what are you doing? Like to the leaders that were on the ground, like as a junior troop that's actually doing this shit, Khan's being a junior troop as well. I'm going to include young officers in this as well, where you're just looking at it and you're like, what the fuck are we doing here? Where you just like, you feel, what's that movie? It's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's but, usually- so that's what's so very, very difficult is because all the people that are making the decisions and then trickle down are the ones that are furthest from the battlefield. And uh, it's like a game of telephone that I can report on my mission of the day and each time i'd come back inside the wire i could type up a pretty detailed mission and as that goes up the chain and and what might really be effective and what really was helping doesn't necessarily always make it to those top levels of leadership and then you end up doing things that don't make a lot of sense they legitimately made so many troops do what was equivalent to math worksheets when a substitute teacher came like instead of actually trying to like you why in the fuck are we putting up security to watch them dig culverts and put in ditches that you know within less than two weeks there's going to be an IED that blows this bitch up. Why? And it was sort of like polishing a turd. I was a Lance Corporal at the time, which is one of the lowest ranks. We would gather all the Lance Corporals. Still make PFCs and private stand at parade rest though. Absolutely. But, you know, sitting in the smoke pit at night and saying to each other, wow. And this was 10 years ago wow, this is not working. This is insane. This is not sustainable. And this is the lowest level boots on the ground outside the wire, getting done work every day and going, uh, yeah, no, this is absolutely not sustainable. Not okay. You pass up that report. The turd gets polished a little bit. They pass it up a little higher, gets polished even more. Next thing you know, you're seeing a senior military leader talking to CNN or Fox news or whoever saying it's going fucking great. Boy, oh boy, are we making gains? Everything's going really well. We just need another year or two. And you're sitting there thinking, what the fuck? What the fuck? That's not like, what I've been seeing in, in one of the worst areas. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and another part of it too, um, besides the, the infrastructure not working and the, the violence and all that other stuff was just, I, I, I get so upset about it. I get lost in it. 
but yeah, just that we knew we could see it then. And we were screaming it. We were giving really honest reports and nobody was listening to us was a very frustrating thing to me. And I think that this is like, I think what Kate is describing is one of the biggest changes that needs to take place in the military. And I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you go from like the award system is based on the amount of money that you spend, the amount of infrastructure that you build, instead of giving an honest assessment about what's going on. And that shit is infuriating to anyone on the ground when you hear people talking and you're like, no, that is not what's happening. It's not what's happening at all. So I wonder now, because we have so many of these reports of like, oh, do you want to put the blame on the military breast or the civilian? It's really hard to say because we, none of us were ever privy to those conversations about what happened at higher echelons. It's very possible that people like Mattis and John Allen and Petraeus and those, they actually went to the president or the secretary of defense and said, look, we're going to need 200,000 people. And then they were told by the secretary of defense to go fuck themselves. So that was never going to happen. And then they have to go out to their troops and give a forward facing opinion. And this is what they have to say, because that's their responsibility as a general too. Yeah. I think that's important to, to remember that at our levels, we're, we're getting a very small slice of all the information and we have no understanding of what the conversations are. So that makes it even more frustrating because not only are you seeing firsthand that what you're doing may or may not be productive, but then you don't even know how that's being framed as it goes up the chain of command. Well, uh, one more thing I wanted to say about this point in 2010, when I was there about halfway through. Um, the other big aspect of it was a huge part of this mission was training the Afghan police and the Afghan military so that we could hand it over to them. Once, once they know what they're doing, we can hand it over and leave. We're fine. Anyone with boots on the ground and, and 66,000 of them died, Afghan police and Afghan military. I'm not, it's easy to knock them and be like, oh, you know, cause everybody has stories where they sucked and this and that uh, they're clearly, they gave a lot. And, and many did try really hard. There were special forces, even just this last week, holding their final ground for this country. But it was watching them throw their sappy plates in the canal, sleeping in front of machine guns when they were supposed to be our, our overwatch. Um, it, there was so much disconnect between what I saw in the news. It's going well. The Afghan police and the Afghan military are getting really well trained. To 10 years in us looking and being like, uh, what this ain't working at all. Like that was another huge part of it was seeing that that was not the case, that it wasn't as strong of a military that. And it was essentially putting lipstick on pig. I mean, because if you, if you like try, imagine trying to start a military now. Like starting it like that shit's impossible. Like the only reason why the branches of service are successful. And I want to point out the branches of service did exactly what the American people expected of them. Anytime we went into a battle against the Taliban, Al Qaeda, ISIS, we fucking whipped their asses every single time. This failure in Afghanistan is not about military might. It's about political incompetence. It has nothing to do with the capabilities of those who served. It is all about the politicians behind it. They were set up to fail. Right. The Afghan military was set up to fail. We were set up to fail to train them. It was... And honestly, yeah. I think that that is in part based. We kind of saw it today with President Biden, with President Biden, what he talked about and saying, I've been there. I've done. I saw. Fuck you. 
No, you didn't. You didn't see shit. You're walking around with Secret Service going to different green zone to different green zone. Everybody's sucking your dick. Hey, Mr. Vice President, whenever you get there. This bullshit from politicians across the board has got to stop. Lindsey Graham does it all the time. Ted Cruz is doing now on the border where they have fucking flight jackets and vests and all kinds of armor. And they're going where nobody is. And they're saying that they're in the the depths of danger. Fuck you. That to me, that is incredibly insulting to everybody who actually did serve. Just because you were going over there and did a little photo op with your staff doesn't mean that you actually experienced what the war in Afghanistan or the war in Iraq was actually like. So we take that point in 2011 now when the, the troops start to draw down. And then we go on to where in 2011, you also had the world leaders getting together and figuring out what it would mean to have Afghanistan in the future, how we have a roadmap for their success. In 2014, Obama announces full plan for withdrawal from the Afghanistan by 2016. How that worked out, not great. Not great. Um, I don't think we need to go into that. In 2014, again, NATO issues a joint statement designating the Afghan security forces will assume full responsibility. Then in 2017, see, and this is what is unbelievable. Even in a detailed timeline, we have three years where we're like, ah, fuck it. Nothing really happened. Like like it was just real shitty. Like we just continue to do the same (laughs) dumb shit and chase our tails all the time. Mm -hmm. And then in 2017, President Trump came in. And said that he was he was cautioned against the hasty troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. And he even said that it would create a vacuum. Trump said that he shares Americans' frustration with the foreign wars and assures that we are not nation building again. We are just going to go over there and kill terrorists. Which was, uh, even for Kate and I, we weren't big Trump fans. We were like, yeah, that's good. Like, fuck yeah, it. we're not going to do that pretty good. Like, like yeah. if you go, if that's the only thing that we get from the Trump administration, I'll be happy with that. Pretty sweet. <laughs> just, yeah, actually. Just leaving Afghanistan would have been fucking awesome. Then in 2019, some real shit went down. And this one I really want to go into because 2019 and 2020 kind of sets the stage for where we were at because it's a recency bias. Like the things that happened in 2014 or 2004 obviously affected where we're at now, but more so what happened in 2019. This is when President Trump was trying to negotiate a a peace deal with the Taliban because he wanted to be done, which I commend him for. And I think that we should have been done as well. It was the right move. However, just because it's the right move doesn't mean that the way that you orchestrate it is the correct way to do it. There is a means and a ways that you have to go by. And now looking back, some of the missteps that him and Secretary Pompeo made were huge. And one of those is releasing that one of the co-founders of the Taliban And this didn't get nearly as much press. Do you guys remember when Obama released Bo Bergdahl or when he got Bo Bergdahl and they they had five Taliban fighters in exchange for Bo Bergdahl? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And everybody went fucking bananas. Like Mm -hmm. veteran Twitter that was in there. They were they hopped out of the cafeteria, ran to their trucks as fast as they could, put on their polarized sunglasses and just started ranting and being like this motherfucker. He did it again. Well, in 2019, they released 5,000, 5,000 people who were in prison because they were associated with the Taliban to include 400 of the 700 top Taliban fighters, the ones that were the most dangerous, to include the co-leader and co-founder. Now, how that escaped the American media attention, and you're going to talk about all the fucking crazy shit that he did, like giving uh, Burger King to to teams whenever they won the national championship, you would think that releasing the co-founder of the Taliban would have been a bigger story. Well, I think that speaks to our fatigue 
for Afghanistan as a whole. And that's why potentially and probably our fatigue for president Trump too. Yeah. It just wasn't as big of a story at that point. You know, people were hoping to vote him out and uh, well, actually I'm looking at this t- timeline. Yeah. So I think they just didn't want to pay attention to it anymore. And again, like we said earlier, I don't know uh, if we caught captured this, but unless you seek out this information, it just wasn't top of mind for any news sources. So it mm-hmm. got, got fell by the wayside. And I think it's too important to remember what's happening with this peace accord because trying to strike a peace accord, I don't, there's obviously nothing's wrong with the peace treaty. Like why the fuck would you ever say there's something wrong with the peace treaty? But if you're going to do it, you cannot do a peace treaty in Afghanistan without asking the government of Afghanistan to come. And you certainly can't have those negotiations supposed, supposed to take place on September 11th at Camp David with the Taliban. You cannot do that. And that pissed us off. We talked about that a lot on this show where it was like, well, how in the fuck can you invite the Taliban to Camp David? That's such a slap in the face. But they, they did it. They signed the peace treaty and then it was handed over to president obama or president biden whenever he took office and this is where i want to go into some of the political stuff i am so unbelievably tired of every single politician coming out and blaming either the former president or the current president for what's going on it is a collective whole amongst all four of those dumb motherfuckers Mm -hmm. all four of them everybody's responsible Biden went along with Trump's plan and him saying this was President Trump's plan. Bitch, you're the one that fucking called the play. You called the play. And then President Trump saying, oh, this Biden did it. He played your place. Like He did it the exact way that you wanted him to do. He just took three months longer. Like, that's it. Both of them are equally his fault. This should be the perfect opportunity to, for all rational Americans to be like, shut up. Just shut the fuck up. You trying to place blame. You trying to place blame. All you motherfuckers are at fault. Anybody that really loves President Trump, anybody that really loves President Biden, and you're defending everybody every single step of the way, you are the one that is wrong. Yeah, everybody everybody going like this right now, pointing in, in every different direction, is just impeding us from what we were ultimately trying to accomplish there. I think when when history looks back on this period, there'll be plenty of blame to go around and it will get assigned to the correct owners. But right now the finger pointing helps us accomplish nothing. And the owners are big and they are wide and that covers every single aspect of the government from the four different folks who were ran the executive branch to every single person in the legislative body that is in that Congress or Senate or the house of representatives or Senate. The fact that the United States house of representatives got rid of their ability to declare war and really keep the president in check like their constitution like the constitution demands of them is ridiculous and that needs to go away the fact that we had that authorization on the books for essentially 20 years is crazy the executive branch is so much more powerful than it was ever intended to be the congress needs to take that power back yeah the checks and balances really have dissipated to to an extent uh and i guess you know, the president gets around it because technically, if you if you look at by the books and the law of war, we have not been at war technically since World War II. Because but those Congress- technicalities are just like, mah, 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 jerk off and splooge my I'm with you. Like, I'm, I'm so with stupid. you. No, 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 I'm with you there. I'm with you there. But that's, I think, where the president needs to step up and understand that, you know, they cannot just run roughshod and, and do whatever they please. Checks and balances are in place for a reason. Yeah, you can't say that we're not having a declared war, and then you're like, well, what's our war budget? (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. 
I also want to say about this peace deal with the Taliban back in 2020, um, to me, that was the moment when clearly that was the moment that I don't know why anyone's surprised. I don't know why I was, why I was surprised and why I'm so affected by it. That was basically saying, when we are gone, you win, you take over. Mm-hmm. I don't know why anyone's surprised the president's got, that was the moment we signed a peace deal with the Taliban. Might as well have just said, this is it. Hey, everybody. And that is when, to me, everything should have gone into high gear. The new mission should have been at the same time. Let's get these visas expedited. Let's get this 70,000 or 80,000 people who worked with us that we made promises to in high motion. That should have been passed from Trump to Biden. As soon as he took office, that should have been his main because it was clear anybody at that level who says they didn't see this coming is a fucking liar. And that mm-hmm. is the moment that either a liar, or just ignorant and dumb as shit. Like those are really the only two options. And I think that we saw some of that with President Biden today, whenever he was going out and he was saying, oh, well, uh, the they didn't want to fight for themselves. Shut up, man. I, That's so unbelievably insulting to everybody that the 60,000 folks that have wore, that wore their uniform and died like. They, they didn't have the courage. What, when did you fight, Biden? You fucking got a, a waiver, too. Everybody shits on Trump about that for having bone spurs. Biden did the same exact shit. Well, and May 1st, we begin the withdrawal of Afghanistan. July 6th, the middle of the night, without telling our allies, we did an episode, like, joking about it, kind of. Bagram Airfield, they, the mm-hmm. Afghans wake up in the morning and, and we're gone, and we were kind of like, oh, that's ridiculous. And even then, it didn't hit me how serious of a humanitarian crisis this was going to be. And I'm... I'm kind of all over the place right now. I'm getting so emotional about it because I feel disappointed in myself for not. I just feel like there is something that. No, America is better than this. And we let these people down. It wasn't a war against Afghanistan. It was a war with Afghanistan against the Taliban. Mm -hmm. Tens of thousands gave their lives and worked side by side with us. I think maybe as a mom now, like. Seeing all these reports coming in, you can scroll through Twitter and you see the interpreters themselves on Twitter. Somebody help me. I'm with my 11 month old daughter. Somebody help me. I'm I see troops on Facebook who served in Afghanistan spending their own money desperate to get their interpreters and their families out of there in any way they can. He's at get down to the gate. My interpreter, his wife, and three kids, including like a two-month-old, are at gate C5. Please, somebody, is anybody in 1-8 or whatever battalion? Please go let them in. I'm begging you. Update. They didn't get in. I haven't heard from them. It's radio silence. Like, the the things that I'm seeing, oh, my God. I think it's just such a slap in the face to the moral injury that I already feel for how we've gone about this entire war. If there was one thing we could have done right at the very end, it would have been to keep our promise to the people who put it on the line to help us. We went in there to protect our interests, really, and and they helped us out in that. Like I, I'm rambling. Sorry, it's just no, so. It's okay. I, I think your emotion is great, and I think that you're absolutely spot on. And we in the military community, especially people that are in the high level civilian side of it, they always talk about what is dangerous for national security. In my 
opinion, in my estimation, what we did to the interpreters is the biggest national security risk that we've ever taken as a country, like post-war, because we now we've done it twice. We did it in Vietnam and we're doing it again in Afghanistan. And we also did it in Iraq where we're letting people who we who signed up to fight beside us swing in the wind. If you are our next foe and you're a person that lives in the country of our next foe, why in the world would you sign up to help us? Why? If yeah, you were public promises. relations, if you were public relations for the Taliban, which they have mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty, pretty well organized, the images and of, on Twitter, the images of Afghan civilians falling off that plane. You got it made right there. You just gained a million fucking new Taliban in that country. You just gained whoever was on the fence. You gained them. Whoever was that is a physical image of us leaving people behind that is going to be ingrained on the world stage forever. That is such a stain on the America that I love. That is so much better than, than that. I I'm just, and it's the perfect picture for really the entire perspective. It puts the entire perspective of these wars on the forefront because you see a plane flown by somebody who was receiving orders from the secretary of defense and from the president of getting the fuck out and not caring what happens behind it, where you see on the, on the, tarmac you have these planes these big c-17s the c-5s the c-130s still rolling down the strip and possibly running over people but still keep this the machine still keeps moving and we're seeing that over and over and over again and it's just absolutely heartbreaking and one of the biggest questions that we've had and in the timeline essentially is where we're at now where over the past few months you're having advancements that are taking place by the taliban and then they stopped outside kabul and that's where they are now and now they're seated at the head of Afghanistan once again. And it is one of the main questions that we get because I've been very vocal on Twitter about disagreeing with the way that this happened with what happened with President Biden. One of the biggest questions that we get is, well, how would you have done differently? And my response to that is, I don't fucking know. I was a staff sergeant of Marines. I was never put in that position. I don't know anything about that level of operations at all. However, I do know that I have a moral compass and this isn't something that I would have done this way. And if we would have gone out and we would have taken all of the all the different interpreters, all the different people that helped us along the way and all the people that need to get out and we got got out and then we said, "Yes, Afghanistan is going to fall to the Taliban." But we did everything that we possibly could to help everybody that helped us along the way and we we made a huge mistake. But instead, President Biden comes out today and places the blame at the feet of, of the folks of Afghanistan who didn't ask for this. They didn't ask for the, to be born in a country that was under Taliban's rule. They didn't ask for that. They didn't ask for decades of war. And now we're placing it at their feet whenever we cause this ter- turmoil. Sure, you could say that Osama bin Laden was the root cause of everything. But we had the ability in 2002, as we outlined at the beginning of the show, to stop the counterterrorism and not go into coin operations. Yeah, it's I just, just disappointing to see that there wasn't more of an effort made to evacuate all of these people prior to us leaving to where we could have pulled everyone out, had a plan to pull all of them out while we were still there, while we could oversee that operation. And then once we get out to your timeline, chaps, then say, hey, listen, Maybe, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow. It's a tough thing to say that we as a country made a mistake, but it, it is a very rough image to see all of these people essentially fighting for their lives 
and, and trying to get out of a country that will toss them aside in the coming months, probably. And I, I just want to circle, circle back. It would behoove you. I just want to circle mm-hmm. back to the Biden speech. Like it, to me, it just showed how completely out of touch he is with, with the military and veteran and every community. He went on for like 10 minutes pointing fingers when all we wanted to hear was what the fuck are you going to do right now to help yeah, there these was, people? There was still no plan. There's there still, still no plan. All I wanted was, a, a, first of was all, a recap, a, a fucking plan. And two, accountability, a plan mm. and accountability. I don't care what Trump set you. I don't a plan and accountability. And that's what yeah. there should be. Um, and then one other note at the press conference at the end of that speech, there was a woman journalist from Afghanistan there and she had the Afghan flag mm. huge on her mask. Did you guys see this? Mm-hmm. And she starts to ask a question and she's so upset. She starts to cry. She says, I, I forget what I was even going to ask you. And then she remembers where is our president, our Afghan president? The Taliban came in and took off my flag and replaced it with theirs. And this is my response to this. everyone says, well, there's no sense of nationalism in Afghanistan. In certain ways, there, there was people were there was progress made, especially for women. Mm-hmm. There, there was a sense of maybe there could be good things coming out of this. Um, then she started to ask what will happen to the women. I lived under the Taliban 20 years ago. We can't go back. Women will lose everything. And she began to sob, essentially. Like, I don't even know what my point is. I'm just fucking And I think that, that, I think that a lot I'm of just... times, like, there doesn't need to be a point. And I think that there's, like, Kate is demonstrating really what so many folks across the country. I mean, my Twitter DMs this weekend were like, dude, what the fuck do we do? Like, where, where do we go from here? And the answer really is, we don't know. We got to demand more from the people that we elect across the board. That's first and foremost. Yeah. And having, having the gumption, because I, anybody who listens to this show knows that I'm a pretty liberal dude. However, I feel like you can look at things from an overall perspective and have the ability to look outside party, look outside normalcy. That's the reason why on Twitter, I said that I think the president Biden should resign. Because ultimately what happens here is that he is the commander in chief. If there was a catastrophic battlefield error, without question, the battlefield commander is relieved mm-hmm. across the board. Not only him, but also or hear him, but also whoever is the enlisted personnel that's there, like his chief enlisted advisor is going to be removed too. I think President Biden should resign. Because this was such an unbelievable mistake for it is going to haunt us foreign policy for decades, what happened here. And he's the one at the helm. Even if it just shows to the rest of the world, we have accountability. Mm -hmm. Accountability and mistakes are very important. I'm not a believer as the leader of casting blame whenever it's your subordinates, train your subordinate better and get them to be better. But when you are the overall leader you better take responsibility. And that 10 minute speech from President, President Biden could not be further than taking responsibility for the actions that he was overall in charge of. Yeah, yeah and it was so rage. disingenuous, <laughs> so it. disingenuous. I mean, and especially he spent 10 minutes pointing fingers at every which way. And then he ends it by saying, the buck stops with me. Well, if the buck stops with you, why did you just spend 10 minutes pointing fingers? It, it, for him to contradict himself on, on that scale is just, I agree with you. I, I think that's unacceptable. And a mistake of this magnitude requires a much higher level of responsibility. I don't, I don't care 
how right now from you in that speech, how we got here. But like you said, Kate, tell us what we're going to do. Tell us how we're going to fix it and tell everyone, hey, this is my mistake, my fault. I don't yeah. need to hear all of the other excuses. Um. I don't know if you want to, but we had a huge and shout out to all the listeners, whether you agree with us or not, or whatever, your interactions, reading your comments sometimes opens new thoughts to me, opens whatever, at least gives me an idea. Oh, well, I think and this it fe- way, it but felt, this felt like a legit community too. like yeah. having, like having this on social and having that interaction, it felt like this was legitimately what we started this podcast to be mm-hmm. the online version of the VFW, where we were all like having beers Friday and Saturday night. Like what the fuck is Yeah. And I read a lot of things where I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I understand where you're coming from and why you feel this way. Um, So we got a lot of mailbag questions and we have uh, different input on the Instagram. So I just wanted to go over a couple of those things real quick. So from at KFall06, what percentage of blame does Afghanistan hold in failing to secure their future? And I saw, you know, there's a lot of this and it's a legitimate question. Well, well, why is it all falling on us? You know, Afghanistan, we gave them all the tools. We spent so much money. What about them? Like, wh- where's the blame on them? And I, it's a good question. Um, and this I- is something that we struggle with as a, as a people, as a culture, as a world. Nuance. Like, so complicated. There's, there's nuance to this. You can't ascribe a certain percentage of what's, who's at fault because every single thing, every aspect that you could point to of the reason why the Afghanistan army messed up, you can point to another reason why, why that happened. And there's so many, the butterfly effects for both directions is so strong in what's going on here that to, to boiling it down to one little percentage is such an incredible disservice for what is actually happening on the ground. Cause it's incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know. All I would say is that um, the literacy rate in Afghanistan is staggeringly low. Um, uh, The cities, Kabul and the bigger cities, it's much different. But in most of Afghanistan, which is the boonies, sort of um, no education, no infrastructure, no. And this was even during the whole time we were there. It is very easy to take advantage of people like that and to control people like that Um, on the Taliban's end. It's these people have no way to fight back against the Taliban. And this is what we've seen. This is the method of control throughout civilizations, throughout world history, where if you control the religious book and you can control literacy, you control the people. That's just the way it is. Like we've seen it through like the Roman Catholic church was awful about it before. Like you, you would see that that's the reason why the reformation happened in the 1500s. It's because when you control the religious text and the, the people want to be religious and you don't allow them to read it for themselves, they're going to take you at your word. And we've seen it thousands of times throughout humankind. And again, I think it's easy to say, why don't they take accountability for themselves? It's easy to say that, but when people have a gun to their head, it's not as easy to take a stand for yourself. Um, it's scary, but I, I generally, honest, honestly, good sorry, Con, shot fired at the Catholic yeah. church. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Chris Sadowski said, do we always just leave a ton of functional military equipment behind when we roll out of a country, tons yes. of images of Taliban with our helicopters, with our vehicles, with our weapons, yeah, but they, with those everything. helicopters don't fly. They're just yeah. essentially yeah, like museum cool props photos, at this point. So again, yeah. if I'm Taliban PR, and also, pretty powerful image. Yeah, but if you can't maintain any of those pieces of equipment, they're not going to be- And we couldn't do it half the yeah. time. Um, we, right. You know what we should do? Be like, hey, what we're going to do, you guys leave, we'll give you as many F-35s as you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't Here work you go. Anyway. We will sign you up to be VIP members of our yeah. newly minted F-35 club. 
But yes, Chris, we leave everything behind and the waste is another slap in the face that hurts the environmental except, disaster. Except for brass. We got to police call the brass. Mm -hmm. Please call the brass. But um, uh, Bruncey one said, is there any long lasting positives out of the Afghanistan occupation? If you were in a leadership role, uh, that, that well, I won't get into that, it's too complicated, but is there any long lasting positives out of the Afghanistan occupation? Ugh. <laughs> if a, I, if I was like a pie in the sky, and I, I know that a lot of people kind of cringe when I do things like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think if you are a leader worth your salt, you are having a battalion formation, you're having a company formation, and you're gathering every single troop that is there without the draft. You're saying, look around, look to your left and to your right. These people are people who signed up to defend the country, no matter who was in charge, across multiple presidencies during a peacetime or wartime without a draft, because this is what America is about. We are about serving and protecting. You all did that. If people out there are like you, we are going to be fine and we need to be fine. And we need you to train harder because eventually our foes now see what happened and they think that we're vulnerable. They might be vulnerable politically, but we will not be vulnerable militarily. We will train and we will train hard to defeat anything. We are going to be rough men and women ready to march to the sounds of the guns. I would also go so far. I mean, have you guys ever heard the starfish story? SpongeBob? No, the starfish parable. Oh, no. All right. So this man is. I this, love a good parable. Yeah. This man, this man is walking on the beach and he sees a young boy and he's throwing something into the ocean and he walks up to the boy and he says, what are you doing? He says, well, the, the, the tide's going out and, and the, the sun's going down. I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean so that they can live. Because otherwise, if I leave them here, they'll die. And the man says to him, but don't be foolish. There's miles and miles of beach and, and hundreds and thousands of starfish. How could you possibly think that you're going to have a positive effect? And right then the boy picks up one of the starfish, throws it in the ocean. He says, well, I helped that one. And I think that's a sentiment that should be shared among the people who served in Afghanistan, that yes, it is tough to see everything that is going on right now, but to to act as if you didn't have a positive impact on maybe at least one person's life in Afghanistan, I believe is selling yourself incredibly short. So although it is tough to see the events of the last week plus transpire, I do believe you had a positive effect on those people of Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. Um a huge sentiment I saw um, over and over in our comments was we need to just stop getting involved in other countries' problems, no more being world police, focus on problems in the U.S. I think that is going to be a trend that grows after this, obviously, and, and the whiplash of it. Um, and then we asked on Instagram, how are you feeling about Afghanistan? I'm just going to read a couple of comments. Disgruntled. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, I just I want to go back to that one because I yeah. mean, we, 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 we talk about the timeline and where we started wasn't, hey, let's just, we're bored. Our military has nothing to do. Let's go get ourselves involved in something. I, obviously, we, we've talked a little bit at length about- That argument's we, much better for Iraq than it is for Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. so we were directly attacked and we initially responded to that direct attack. It wasn't as though we were bullies looking for someone to beat up on. So I would take that sentiment with a grain of salt. And I also think you have a certain responsibility. If you're the yeah. if you're the number one superpower in the world and an atrocity starts happening, you've got to act or you're complicit. Like the lack of action is complicity. I mm -hmm. just think it's it's a response to what has happened to it's it's I think you're going to just see a lot of that. Oh, certainly. I mean, because history out. repeats yeah. itself. That, that's the reason why Smedley Butler wrote 
War is a Racket in 1935. <laughs> That's the reason we developed an isolation po policy shortly there after World War II, even though it ended in Korea whenever we went and got involved in that. Then when Korea was done, we were going to be isolationists again, and then we went to Vietnam. This has been a constant, ever-evolving cycle in, in the American journey. Yeah. Um, and again, thanks to everybody who commented. We got hundreds and hundreds of comments and in the DMs and people, we had a little post on the Instagram story where you could just vent. I didn't plan on doing anything with it. I didn't, wasn't going to use any of the answers. I just said, just shout it into this hole. I get it. <laughs> Sometimes um, that just feels good, man. It really like, yes, does. Yesterday I was fucking in my back on Twitter. I was emotional. I'm calling for the president that I voted for to resign. I still stand behind that, by the way. I, <laughs> you're going to, it's okay to have emotion and have a visceral reaction for something that you care about like that. We we've, adapted somehow that like oh no we need to remove ourselves to have this cognitive dissonance i don't think that that's healthy i think that we have to be really invested here like this yeah. is something that is incredibly important it shapes so many of our lives all three of us on the show that are constantly talking the things that we did in battle the things that we did with our friends absolutely shaped everything who we are like it really does it shapes who you are and hopefully i Hopefully there's some good that comes about it. And all I really want to say to the veteran that's listening, you have nothing to be ashamed about, mm -hmm. like nothing to be ashamed about. You did exactly what your country asked you to do. That's all you can do. Nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah. And I, I don't even know if it's a shame as I, is part of it. I think it's just ang the, the what? anger, what the regret, fuck? anger, regret, the, the, mm -hmm. and the heartbreak for, a sense of guilt, not, not that I'm ashamed that I'm directly responsible, but I do feel watching what's unfolding, the, the human rights atrocities that are taking place and about to take place. I feel a sense of guilt that I can't quite explain just mm. uh, a, a sick, sick to my stomach, like have not been able to sleep the last couple of days. Like I just sit there. This is probably something I should talk to my therapist, but like, I, and visualizing what is happening to these people and what's going to happen. I cannot, I cannot stop scrolling through Twitter and seeing their cries for help. Like I cannot stop. Um, and, and I think that what Kate just described <laughs> there is what we need to demand from leaders across the board where it's empathy. And I think that's yeah. the biggest quality that we do not have anymore in this country. And we don't see it in our politicians nearly enough. We don't see people that care about everyone across the board. And one thing that really points that home is because we have such this, and I don't, I don't know when I first noticed it, and I'm, I'm definitely not the first one to notice it, but it is really fucked up the way that we approach a lot of things that happen in the world, where we automatically have the adjective or the modifier of American lives, where we value the American life much more than the life of somebody else. And my question to that is why? Why do we view of what's happening in Afghanistan to those people? Why is that any different? What that they're a mother, a father, a son, a brother, they're whoever, but because they're from our country that we really had no choice of the matter when how we were born, everything's different. Their life matters less. Well, I don't understand that. Uh, one small silver lining that I see just to lighten it a little. I know um, at Peter Lucier, uh, P-E-T-E-R-L-U-C-I-E-R. -E -E if you look at him, he's launched uh, a GoFundMe in support of Keeping Our Promise. Highly recommended charity that works with Afghan allies and their families to get them out of Afghanistan. I know in the DMV area, there is huge movement, people getting 
Because there are the group that has come over the 2000 or so finding volunteers to pick them up from the airport, Amazon wish lists getting filled immediately, people offering up their homes, anything they can do to help the Afghans that are arriving here. People are going above and beyond. Um, people I saw um, somewhere on the West Coast, a family was arriving at an airport and a huge group of Americans showed up to say, welcome, you are welcome here. We've got your back no matter what. Um, I know um, there's also, if you go to kim.house.gov, um, there are Congress people who are going now, now, a little, little late, but now, um, if you're an SIV or P2 um, visa holder, reach out to us directly. We'll pull all the strings we can. Um, information for American citizens stuck there, for special immigrant visa holders stuck there. Um, go to, again, kim.house.gov. Because I know there's veterans out there listening who are like, I have an interpreter. I have a this, I have a that mm -hmm. who's, who's stuck there. Um, I sent this information to a fellow Marine today who was in direct contact with his interpreter trying to get them out. And I reached out to Kim's office and they said, send the info over. We'll be keeping our ear open. If this guy reaches out, you know, we'll see what we can do. Like anything and everything. There are people who do care and who are, there is still good. There's good people trying to make the best of this mess. Um, and if there's any little silver lining in that, still a lot of good out there. I'm rambling and the, again. And I'm the just... current the current numbers right now are that we, we can expect any around 30,000 refugees. They will be refugees that come over to the United States. I encourage you, if you're listening, to Google the different charities that are in, involved in your area because they collect clothes, they collect shoes, they collect all these things. Because you, you saw the pictures. These folks aren't coming with heavy suitcases. They're not Nothing. throwing up. They're not throwing their big old suitcases on the counter at United. That's not what they're doing. They're carrying the things that are on their back and starting a life over in a new country because they would get murdered in the country that they came from. So yeah. if you can reach out to somebody in your city that is going to have a refugee closet or anything like that, that's one way that you can help that doesn't involve money because a lot of times we, it's everything, like everything is ran by money. After COVID, people are stretched thin. Yeah. But right. uh, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think. I want to look at at least portion of this as a, as a great opportunity. I still think this is the greatest country in the world. I am I'm proud to, to be from here, proud to live here. And I think we have an opportunity now to step up and to prove why it's the greatest country. And it's not the greatest country because we have the best technology or the nicest houses or the biggest stadiums or the coolest sports. It's the greatest country because by and large, the people who are in this country. So now we have an opportunity to step up and show the rest of the world that we still can be good people. We still can be the best by helping these people, welcoming them and doing all the, the, the actions that you two just described. So I, I would look and I, I too, am always a silver lining type person. I think there is an opportunity for us as a country to do a lot of good now. And it'll I take like a hundred years, but. And I think that this is like in a football analogy, I think this is we have to approach America being the best like Nick Saban and Bill Bella approach their football teams. What you did in the past means nothing. Mm -hmm. Who are you today? Try to be the best that you can be. And like what Benjamin Franklin says, I gave you a republic if you can keep it. You have to continuously work at being good. You can't rest on your past laurels or you can't bring up these pie in the skies ideals. You have to prove it. If we all want to say it, and we all do, we want to say it, we want to mean it, and we want to live like it, that we are the best. Because right now, some of the things that you're doing and looking around, you're like, ugh, yeah. if, if we're the best, yikes. Not great. Yeah. My final thought, <laughs> go ramble head ass, Kate. 
Um, it, if you're serving right now, like chap said, so, so proud of you. You're, like that is one of the great things about our country and two, um, kind of a separate thought went in all this. I was thinking about me, me, me and the Afghan people. And one of the things that popped up in my mind is if, if veterans are feeling this way, not all veterans, everybody's different, but if so many veterans are feeling similar to how I am, how must the gold star families be feeling mm. right now? If you reach out to the moms and dads and that, that to me was the other really difficult part, um, in, in the why of all this was thinking about my friends who have, who died in Afghanistan. And that's where the, what, what was all this, what was the point of it? Um, my friend who was an only child, I cannot stop thinking about his mom mm-hmm. and what she must be feeling right now. I'm a mess today, guys. I'm just a mess. I think. Um, and being you have a mom right to be. has given me a new perspective on the sacrifices that are incredible, um, our incredible troops made over these last 20 something years. So, um, my heart just goes out to like a, just a wild amount of people right now. Just I'm in my feels I'm done, but, um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. Sorry. And if you're like Kate, reach out to <laughs> one of your buddies. And I, yeah. I mean that like they're like, yeah. Kate is by far not the only one. If you're struggling, your friends are too. The people that you were there with that you served with are too, and they have ears, use them. Everybody's a lot of the times we'll feel like we can't do that. We can't reach out to somebody. I don't want to show weakness. This is not weakness. This is an absolute expression of humanity that I think sometimes they view military doesn't have. When you really look around the veteran community and the active duty community, some of these folks have the biggest hearts of anybody that I've ever known. And you join because you have a purpose to serve and you want to do that. It's okay to reach out. It's okay to say you're hurting and it's okay to look your government straight in the face and with, by the oath that we took and say, you are fucking up, fix it. We'll be back again on Friday to talk more about the news. Sound the retreat.